0: Um, so, I'd like to talk about the five hindrances. The um, five hindrances are the forces in the mind uh, that tend to cloud our minds and prevent us from seeing clearly and alertly. Um, they're also called uh, the five, they can be called the five coverings. Uh, Gilwan's called them the five ways to lose your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're uh, universal, you know, and they happen at every stage of practice, whether you're a beginner or you're advanced. Those are the things that keep your mind from being, you know, really clear and alert. Um, I like to think of them in pairs. For those of you, I think you've all gotten to know them today to some extent, right, in the last couple of days, uh, but uh, not necessarily work with them effectively, but, um, I like to th- think of them like, um, you know, work with them in pairs. It helps you understand them a little bit better. Um, for desire and aversion, in some ways, they're the same, uh, the two sides of the same coin. Um, you know, let's say you're sitting here and you're really hot. You know, what might enter your mind is like, I, you know, oh, I really hate this, I hate this, I hate this. Or what might enter your mind is, oh, I want to open the window. I really want to open the window, which is a desire. They're, they're both coming from that initial unpleasant experience that we missed, and that we were unable to be with. And, um, you know, some of us tend to respond by just hating it and disliking it. And other people tend to respond by wanting to do something. By wanting something. Uh, Same thing if you're um, hungry. You know, you might be uncomfortable with the unpleasant sensation of hunger, or you might be focused on, um, oh, I wonder what I can have. You know, what's for dinner? You know, and that desire arises. So the other two are um, sleepiness or sloth and torpor, and uh, kind of the opposite of that is restlessness. So you either have too much energy and get restless, or too little energy and, you know, you're, you're struggling, which I heard a little bit from a couple of you that, that happened in the last couple of days. Um, and the last one is doubt, and um, I'll talk about that at the end, so that one's unpaired. Uh, and we all have them a lot, and, and we have them during meditation, and we have them during daily life. A lot of the struggle that we might have in a day that we find challenging is when these hindrances are present. The Buddha said that um, all the hindrances arise through misdirected attention. So think about that for a moment, you know. It means that basically they arise because we pay attention to the wrong thing. And that's sort of an interesting, uh, interesting phenomena. So for instance, um, let's say you're sitting uh, and you're feeling really hot and uncomfortable. And so you start paying attention to how can I change that instead of how does this feel? And so once you pay attention to how can I change that, and during meditation, right, um, uh, you're now at odds with reality. Reality is that it's warm. And struggling with it is kind of useless in meditation, right? It's not going to get you anywhere. Um, so the attention that's directed towards, um, towards being at odds with what is uh, isn't helpful at all. You just find yourself kind of frustrated and unhappy. But paying attention to the actual experience of it allows you to um, go accept it, relax into it, and work with it better. A lot of the times um, it's all about changing our point of view. An example would be, let's say you're, uh, you are go to the Grand Canyon, you know, and you're in this really beautiful, beautiful environment. And right in front of you there's like a cigarette butt, you know. And um, do you focus on the cigarette butt and, and, oh, God, how could somebody have done this and just, you know, get all all bent out of shape. and totally forget that you're in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. You know, so that's, that's basically what we do in our minds. You know, we focus on these, these little pieces you know, and forget that there's a whole world of, of, of everything else in our minds. Our minds have this incredible potential and then we're focusing on this little minor thing that we, we don't like, that's a small piece of the whole picture. A lot of times we think of the hindrances as a personal failing, and that to me is one of the most important habits to get out of. It's like every time they arise, it's like, "Oh, blew it again, blew it again. You know, so, really beginning to be friendly with the hindrances, you know. Uh, you know, can you try, here you are my friend again, here you are, you know, try really becoming friends with these hindrances. They teach us, they are, they are, they are our teachers, they teach us how we get caught. Uh, they teach us how to get free. We really pay attention to them. We really understand the process of clinging the process of letting go of clinging. The hindrances have have uh, certain components excuse me I'm sort of having a hindrance with this uh, microphone okay um Have a physical component. Um, For example, um, sometimes when people want something, uh, I've watched people in the hall. Sometimes you know they're like leaning forward. You know when they want something, you know your body starts starts shifting that way, or they may tighten. Uh, They have an emotional component. Right. Anytime you feel, if you feel sleepy, you know, you've got a certain emotion around it, right? You know, either you're either struggling with it or you're kind of enjoying the dreaminess of it. It's want some emotion, and um, there's a cognitive element to a hindrance, uh, such as beliefs and stories we tell ourselves. Um, such as uh, I've been working so hard meditating today. I'm going to just space out and enjoy it. You know. Um, you know, whatever stories we we might um, add to it. And they usually have a strong impulse to either do something or to cling. So for instance, uh, sloth and torpor, dreaminess, you know, you tend to want to stay there, you know, it's like not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. You know, that let me put on snooze for the third time, that kind of feeling. And so um, you know, they all have th- these kind of different characteristics. And uh, as we work with them, as we get interested in them, we get to know them. And it's funny what happens because, you know, when you, in the early parts of practice, you know, the hindrances are, uh, oh, my back hurts, and, and uh, they're kind of gross. They tend to be b- um, ov- more obvious, you know, I'm sleepy, I'm tired. But as we get into subtler parts of practice, sometimes they're even harder to miss. Um, It took me a while to realize that what I was doing in my meditation was wanting to have a better experience. You know, things were okay, but I wanted it to be better, just, you know, and I I was totally missing the hindrance of desire uh, because I, you know, I I just was associating it only with wanting food or something. So the primary instruction with working with the hindrances, it's very similar to the RAIN formula we use today, is you make the hindrance the object of meditation. So if you're sitting and it's too hot, um, instead of focusing on on what can I do to fix it, you focus on what it feels like to uh, push away you know, if, you're, if you have a lot of aversion to the, to the being too hot, you focus on the hindrance, on the aversion, because that's what's happening in the moment. So maybe the way it went is it got hot, it was unpleasant, you sort of missed it, and you got into having aversion towards the unpleasantness. So now that's the primary thing that's happening in your mind. You know, when the hindrance arises, whatever triggered the hindrance has become secondary. The hindrance is what really becomes prominent. And so turning to that and working with that is the way through it. It doesn't matter if a hindrance is present or not. In mindfulness meditation it really doesn't matter, but it matters if you don't notice it. You know, and that's what was happening to me. I wasn't noticing my desire, wanting that better experience. You know, hour after hour I did that once for a really long time and I was just wanting, 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 Dismissed it for a really long time. So really getting to know them at, at any point is really helpful. When the hindrances are suspended, the mind is tranquil and alert. So you pretty much know if your mind is not tranquil and alert, there's a hindrance present. So, you know, be on the lookout for them. As I said, the primary way to work with a hindrance is to look at it directly. But sometimes hindrances are overwhelming. And uh, did anybody t- uh, in the last couple of days have this sleepiness where they kept chirking forward, or anyone not have that? <laughs> 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 um, I heard a lot of sleepiness in the in the groups. Um, <laughs> it was very very common. Um, so uh, sometimes when when that's happening, you don't have the Uh, enough alertness to pay attention to the hindrance so you might want to use a remedy and uh, some of the remedies for instance for sleepiness are to open your eyes and to meditate with your eyes open Um, you know the easiest way to do that is to just let your eyes uh, just kind of go forward a few feet and a soft focus you're not really looking at anything but just a very soft focus desire can be really overwhelming, too. In fact, at a retreat um, at IMS, uh, somebody had such strong desire for pizza, they actually ordered a pizza to be brought in. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it can be definitely overwhelming. So sometimes, uh, you know, we have to do something other than pay attention to it because we can't work with it. Um, One of the things that happens sometimes, particularly among um, young people, is uh, the sexual energy arises, especially the long retreat. You know, sometimes, you know, you're in a month-long retreat and, you know, uh, people haven't had sex for longer than they ever had as an adult. And that's a really strong force, you know, and all they can do is think about it every sitting, you know. So there's a re- the remedy that can be used for that is to think about the, um, the sort of classic teaching of the 32 parts of the body, So which includes, you know, thinking about the liver, the sinus, the mucus, the, you know, all the, ad- all the non-attractive parts of the body. and. And that can be really helpful, if, if you're really caught in that, in, in a way that's not useful. So desire can be really healthy and wholesome. Without, without desire we wouldn't have humans. You know, uh, we wouldn't eat, we wouldn't uh, reproduce. So desire is a really wholesome, wonderful thing. Um, it's when we cling to desire that we have the problem. And that's when it becomes a hindrance. Um, and when it's not the right time, or useful. So um, we can pay attention to that and see if it moves through us, you know, just like uh, we work with emotions. You notice what it is, you give it a name, you accept it, you investigate it. So it's the same way of approaching that, and, um, and if you can't work with it, if it's overwhelming, you, t- you try something different. Um, Sometimes if you want something, like, for instance, uh, cravings, you know, uh, maybe you want um, potato chips, right, you know, and you're really craving potato chips, sometimes focusing and you have high blood pressure, you're not supposed to eat salty food. So actually taking time to contemplate on how it might be harmful is another remedy for working with something like that. So, there's different ways of working with desire when you just don't have the uh, presence to work with it and to be present for it. So aversion is uh, wanting things to be different the way they are, you know, pushing something away, pushing our experience away. Um, it can get intensified to the point where we have ill will or even hatred, but it 's the same energy of of uh, you know having ill will to experience go away experience i don 't want you um, it can be subtle or it can be um, you know very over overwhelming um, you know someone today was talking about revenge fantasies you know and um, um, and people can spend a lot of time in meditation you know with these uh, feelings of anger and so again, you know we want to allow ourselves to show up for them and but recognize that we're um, that we 're trying to push something away if there's recurrent uh, again a remedy for recurring um, aversion. Uh, Ill will, really, It can be doing loving-kindness practice. If you have a lot of um, anger in your life, a lot of hatred in your life, um, that's something really important to cultivate. Sometimes just directly working with it isn't enough, and working on the loving-kindness uh, side of the practice uh, can be really helpful. a little bit more in sloth and torpor since it's, it's, it's so popular um, so you know sloth uh refers to the physical qualities of of the condition you know it's like if you think of the animal you know they kind of hang there you know and, and don't move you know they're kind of uh, uh really represent this kind of heaviness of body and it sometimes feels like it's hard to hold yourself up whereas torpor refers to the heaviness of the mind mind's dreamy, and it can either be dreamy in a way that's really pleasant and you just don't want to leave it. It's just, so oh, this is so nice, I worked so hard, I'm going to stay here. Or it can be um, really tired in a way that someone's struggling. They're both sloth and torpor. They're just different forms that it takes. Um, there's some really immediate uh, things you can do for sloth and torpor. Um, Sometimes it's really important to do it. We had um, a number of retreats ago, we actually had somebody who fell asleep and she just fell forward and hit her head and she had to get stitches. Um, and. Um, I, you know, I didn't know. I'd, I'd heard uh, Banti Kudurana talks. You know, he talks about he doesn't like his monks to sit in chairs. You know, and I asked him why. I said, you know, why? What's wrong with a chair? And he said, oh, it's too far to fall. <laughs> I thought he was kidding until until that happened. <laughs> but um, uh, you know that uh, you know most of us wake ourselves up on the way down. You know? <laughs> So if that's happening, if you're just, you know, jerking forward, jerking forward, opening the eyes really helps. Um, if you've been struggling so much with that and you're really not able to, it's, it's overwhelming, you can't do anything with it, uh, a really good alternative is to meditate standing up. Um, to meditate, the, the Buddha taught four positions. You can meditate standing, walking, sitting or lying down and any of those are totally fine ways to meditate. And sometimes you'll see people in long retreat, you know, they'll let you stand behind a chair and you hold on to it. It lets your body be really relaxed while you're standing there. So, um, you know, if you're really struggling with it, that's a really good alternative. Um, another thing that, um, that people sometimes do is they pull on their ears. Just pull it long enough to cause a little bit of pain. And, um, you know, not too much, you know, and and they usually wake, you know, can really wake you up. It just creates a little bit of a stimulus. Um, I used to joke when I first heard that, you know, that the Buddha must have really had had a hard time with sloth and torpor because he had really long (laughs) (laughs) earlobes. So, um, but one really important thing about, um, you know, when I said before that, uh, the hindrances are are come from misdirected attention. Um, often with sloth and torpor, sometimes what happens is that um, you don't have a direction in the meditation. You sort of lose track, and so you don't really have a goal, and you kind of um, you know lose interest, and and you get sleepy because there there's either not enough stimulation, or um, you know you just get you know a little bit lazy. And so sometimes by creating a small goal, like, I'm going to be mindful for two breaths in a row, you know. And often just that little bit of a goal arises, causes energy to arise. Um, So it can be, um, or or you can bargain, just say, okay, I'll just be mindful for five breaths or three breaths, you know. and, uh, And sometimes that's enough to get the energy moving. Energy begets energy so it has a really positive reinforcement so if you can get a little bit of energy up you know to get those two or three breaths and then okay i'll do it again you know and then it starts actually reinforcing itself so you you can sometimes work really well with sloth and torpor in in lifting yourself out of it by doing it in these little tiny pieces Um, you know thoughts um, or thoughts really affect um, or energy level, and thoughts of discouragement, thoughts of worry, they tire the mind. So sometimes people get sleepy because they've exhausted themselves being self-critical or worrying about the future or, or different things like that. So they go from being really restless to really tired because they kind of exhaust the mind doing that. So those are all very common patterns that, that we, we have. So restlessness is, um, is a form of agitation of the mind um, that, again, that can be mental and it can be physical. Sometimes what we have to do is move, and sometimes when we sit a lot, you know, people just, oh yeah, let me keep sitting and sitting and sitting, and they don't get enough physical activity, and then the restlessness arises, because the body really needs to move to be healthy. So, you know, make sure that you're, um, uh, you know, it's wonderful to sit for long periods, but that you're moving enough um, you know, to keep your energy healthy. So often what, we, um, what causes restlessness is um, worry about the future, uh, planning the future. It's usually either you're about the future or about the past, or regretting the past. So it's uh, rarely about the present. So, um, you know, get to know what's happening when 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 the mind is restless. Suppressed emotions can cause restlessness also. Um, But, you know, the mind likes stimulation. It's used to being constantly stimulated, especially in this day and age where we're doing, doing, doing. You know, a lot of people go through days without having any time where they're not doing. And even when they're relaxing, they're doing on the internet, or they're doing on the cell phone, or they're doing something. And so you stop doing, and the mind's saying, hey, I want something to do. You know? And if we don't do something, the mind begins to experience uh, the benefits of, tr- of tranquility. But there's a transition point, and if you don't get to the transition point, you experience what often we call boredom. And boredom says, give me something to stimulate me. And the mind would rather be stressed out and, and restless than be bored often. So it triggers, um, uh, it stimulates itself in whatever way it can, um, because it wants something to grab onto. Uh, so getting to know boredom when that arises um, is, is a way through that. You know, really, whatever shows up, turn towards it. Um, you know, when boredom arises uh, sometimes people don't even realize that's unpleasant. You know, boredom's an unpleasant feeling, right? It's not neutral. It's unpleasant. We don't like it. And so um, what most of us do is go, I'm bored. We're, okay, I'll look at this or look at that. But can we look directly at boredom? You know, what is it like? Not much happening here in this meditation. Oh, what's it like? What is that experience like? And so we turn towards it instead of away. So restlessness. So um, some of the things we can do with restlessness, we can either narrow the focus or broaden the focus. Either one can be helpful. So for instance, narrowing the focus is to count your breaths. If you're really unsettled and the mind's really chaotic, you know, just counting your breaths, very carefully increasing your concentration can really help. The other direction is to broaden your attention. And the analogy I used, I mentioned it in the earlier group, is um, the analogy of uh, wild horses. And um, if you put wild horses in a corral, you know, they're not happy. You know, they're just, you know, really fighting and and, uh, really, you know, unhappy. But you put them in a broad pasture, they love it. And in the same way, we can expand our attention to have a much broader field, you know, listening to sounds, um, just feeling the whole body as opposed to maybe a little area. So just by broadening, you give all that restlessness some room. Um, but any way you look at it, if you just sit still with restlessness, you sit still long enough, it's kind of like taking um, a glass of water that's full of stuff and you shake it up. Let it sit. It all drops down to the bottom. You know, in the same way, just by sitting still, you know, you don't move. Uh, you allow the mind to just settle down, and it will settle. So then the, the fifth hindrance is doubt. And um, some people say that doubt is the most dangerous of the hindrances. And the reason is that doubt is, if you have doubt in yourself, or doubt in the practice, you stop practicing. So it's a really important uh, hindrance to really understand. Um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have doubts, uh, that if you have doubts, you shouldn't explore them. But it means that when you're meditating, doubt is not useful. Uh, <coughs> doubt in yourself is not useful, it doesn't let you apply yourself. If you doubt yourself, for instance, um, let's say you're learning uh, how to uh, play racquetball. Okay? If your attention is on doubting that you can play, it's not on learning how to play. Right? So doubt never lets you do what you're trying to do. It's, it's, it's a different place you're putting your attention. So while you're meditating, you want to put your full heart into it. And uh, it's, it's totally fine to have doubts. But don't do them during meditation. Do them in an intelligent way at another time. So if you have doubts about how you're practicing, talk to a teacher. Read some books. Uh, get educated. Uh, if you have doubts about your, yourself you know, being able to do the practice, talk to someone. But during meditation, it's a hindrance. Recognize it as such. It's not useful at this time. Um, That's another uh, hindrance that uh, sometimes is is really subtle. That um, I've heard more than one person say uh, that they set a whole retreat without realizing that they had so much doubt in themselves that they weren't even seeing. That they just kept, you know, the mind just kept uh, not noticing uh, how much it was driving them. Doubt drains our energy. That's another thing to really be aware of. Doubt, um, because it doesn't go anywhere. It just kind of gets us stuck in one spot. You know, um, I, I, you know, I can't learn to meditate. I can't learn. I'll never get concentrated. You know, it's uh, it just kind of drains the energy. That continuous, um, you know, instead of the energy going towards uh, focusing. Uh, It goes into this uh, restless uh, doubt. Um, So no matter what hindrance uh, is happening, mindfulness is always appropriate, being mindful of the hindrance. Um, Accepting the hindrance, befriending the hindrance. Um, So I just want to end with um, a quote from Gil. Um, And um, he said, To have doubt about mindfulness, of the value and importance of just being mindful, borders on having doubt about the value of being present for life in general. Because mindfulness and being present for life it's the same thing. So, um, you know, uh, I remember being on in, on an early retreat, and um, um, you know, I, I could understand meditating, but I'd go to my room, and then I'd want to turn it off. You know, okay, I want time off. You know, I didn't want to be mindful at that point. You know, and it seemed like work, and um, I really didn't understand. Uh, that really wanted to turn myself off from from feeling from from being there, and uh, there were unpleasant feelings going on, there were unpleasant things, and so um, you know, being mindful as we develop the ability to be mindful to wake up in our lives uh, makes our lives richer. It's not it's um, we practice mindfulness. It's work, but when we are mindful, it's joyful. So we might be doing a lot of practicing. Uh, But we practice creating the conditions that allow the natural joy of mindfulness to arise. So being mindful is being alive, being really present in our lives. So thank you.